Blog Talk Radio. Broadcasting from Atlanta, Georgia, home of the world's greatest artist, TLC, Gladys Knight, India Ari, Indigo Girls, and Hartsfield Atlanta Jackson Airport, the Falcons, and Clark Atlanta University. This is The Bright Side with Technicia, a daily show with real people with real experiences. And now, here's your host, Technicia. Good afternoon, everyone. Good afternoon. I'm so glad to have you on the bright side with Technicia, and I'm even happier because I have a former guest who is my buddy, my pal, my friend, everything, Steve Spacek, and he's a federal, state, local government performance expert, the author of American State Litter Scorecard and monthly website, litterscorecard.com, which is cited by the Boston Globe. He's been interviewed for Travel and Leisure's America's Dirtiest City series, and he's here, and he's here to tell us the most dirtiest states of them all today and other publications, uh, moderated and presented at public service conferences across the USA. He's the member of Rutgers Newark Public Performance Measurement and Reporting Network, Life, Men- Life Member, Pi Alpha Alpha Public Administration Under Society, and he resides in the Washington, D.C. area, and he's originally from Southern Boy. Yes, he is. But without further ado, I love to welcome my friend Steve on. Steve, it's so much pleasure to have you back on the show again. Yes, ma'am. Uh, thank you very much for asking me back on this uh, Earth Day week, Earth Day being this Sunday, yes. uh, April 22nd. I know we have so much going on for this month, Earth Day, um, Governor's Voting Election. Also, don't forget, people, last day for tax returns, so make sure you get those in if you have not. So we, we have we have a lot going on. I mean, we're I mean, with all the negative stuff going on, we got to put the positive, a little positive spin on it today because there's too much going on in the news, and you already know what's going on, so I'm not about to reelaborate on those. But anyhow, we're here with my guy, Steve, and he, in regards to Earth Day, Steve, tell us a little briefly about why Earth Day is still important for all of us to celebrate and respect. Sam, again, thank you for having me on, and uh, I I can be your buddy. You're welcome. (laughs) (laughs) And by the way, before I start, I was in Atlanta twice in the last year. you you were at the you hang out at the airport sometimes and you know it's so interesting. Um, the previous mayor, he has this posters up. I, I need to throw this in before I start. He had the smiling faces. Welcome to Atlanta. The elevators were not working. The escalators are not working. Even the moving sidewalks weren't working. And you've heard these stories oh, about other airports. You know, uh, also your lights went out recently, and I'm thinking. You talk about a terrorist attack, a potential one at an airport. Well, I shouldn't be saying right. this, I, but those are those. Yes, ma'am. And I was going to say, Steve, I believe I was at work because I work for Marriott Atlanta Airport. I was at work that day when the airport had the outage, which was strange to me, an airport having an outage like that, and you're supposed to have a big generator, so it seems a little fishy. But I was there, and we were swamped, and I have – worked at the airport before myself for seven years. So I definitely know about when those elevators and escalators go out and the long walk, especially if you have, if you're working on Concourse C. And you know, it's uh, kind of odd. There's all this federal money going to uh, Georgia and Atlanta to fix all this. And uh, I hate, and then you see that you see the, the uh, mayor, uh, Kasim, the former one, he's smiling that you see his pictures, you see all these problems, and he was on the clock when this was going on. And I'm just saying, uh, and it's going to come out as I go on this story, you have officials in in Atlanta, they're not following uh, directives from Washington or they're abusing the monies given to them because this stuff should not be happening and, you know, when, when, when the power goes out, when these elevators are not working, when the escalators are not moving, that's, that's perfect for a terrorist that's lingering around. They, they're waiting to uh, act. 
and then we're talking potential lives uh, affected by this uh, in, in a detrimental way. Right. I do believe I do believe that because when they reported on the news, Steve, I was like, wait a minute. Hold on. You're not telling me that this big old airport doesn't have a generator. It's more deeper than what they want to tell you on the news. And uh, I'll now go back. Uh, thank you for letting me throw that in because I thought it was pretty bad. And, yeah. and uh, generally, Atlanta can be a very good city. I think it's on the way up, as you will hear some numbers. But uh, we will first talk about Earth Day and its importance. Um, and uh, the idea behind Earth Day came from a guy, his name is Senator from Wisconsin, uh, Gaylord Nelson. And by the way, I went, one of my grad schools attended was in Wisconsin, and I learned how to pronounce that name. Uh, growing up down in Texas in the Deep South, I, I got to learn what snow was and how to pronounce It's more Scandinavian up there. But anyway, this Gaylord Nelson guy back, uh, he was out in the forefront. He was kind of like a Bobby Kennedy. And, you know, we're uh-huh. talking about his death 50 years ago, of course, with Martin Luther King. But Gaylord Nelson was kind of like a Bobby Kennedy for a, uh, uh, a standout leader for pe- promoting environmental awareness and protection at the time around 1970. He was doing speeches. He was attending college campuses. And the other thing is at that same time, there were all these new uh, people wanted, they were concerned about trash and litter and waste and polluted water and people dying around them and animals dying and no one wanted to speak out for them. So he was a leader, even as a member of Congress, to uh, get more federal action uh, to reconcile these problems. And so around, uh, it was on April 22nd, 1970, he held a teach-in, college campuses across the country, an environmental teach-in to celebrate what was good about Earth, what, 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 uh, what are the pristine conditions that haven't been ruined by man? Because all this is caused by mankind. It wasn't no animals or non-human uh, creatures. We caused all these problems, and it's up to fix these problems. And we wanted, he wanted to celebrate the goodness of the earth and, and how it mothers us and protects us. So during that same right. year, right after this, there was a movement uh, to get, legislation passed so just within a few months of earth day there was this uh, emphasis this aura to uh, pass the clean air act clean water act and then later that december and also i want to say that richard nixon was president during this time and he signed on the legislation in december of 1970 that created the environmental protection agency and so Despite the flaws and issues that uh, Richard Nixon has, I must say, if you're an environmentalist or if you care about uh, public health and welfare, next to Lyndon Baines Johnson and maybe next to Barack Obama, you have to put Richard Nixon in. Uh, um, He was a champion, strangely, of uh, public health and well-being legislation during his administration from 1969 to, to his resignation. Strangely enough, he's a champion of public health being, well-being and uh, uh, welfare that we haven't seen even in our modern presidents or even modern-day Democrats have been elected. It was Richard Nixon that, and LBJ that started the ball on this. Oh, wow. I'm glad to get the little <laughs> history of Earth Day because my bosses make a big deal about it and – you know, a lot of coworkers are like, oh, I don't care about no Earth Day. And then I'm like, wait a minute. Well, we do want to keep it clean. I mean, we have enough pollution. I I don't think people consider the fact of how pollution is a wear and tear mm-hmm. down on our Earth. I think they just look at, okay, I throw a cup out the window. Oh, who cares? You know, it's not my problem. And, and you know what? You said something that I've been looking at the data. They've been studies about who cares about the earth and pollution, who doesn't. And you said it perfectly about people around you. Um, I'm going to be very careful how I say this, but people of lower incomes, people, though they're concerned uh-huh. about pollution, though they're concerned about quality of life, having a job and having food in your stomach and staying alive, 
through the through the day. Those are concerns that tend to be more important than uh, environmental protection, especially amongst people that are less educated or people of color, as I want to use those words. However, uh, as time has gone on, um, the awareness of in low income and communities of color to improve in environmental conditions uh, has definitely increased. And so the, the polls are showing uh, more concern amongst groups that used to not be as concerned. So especially the youth, they're, uh, now they are contributors to the problem, as you will find out in a moment, but at least on the awareness, uh, the aware, as one gets older, uh, the awareness, and also even with modern generations, they're more and more aware that we must protect our environment because it's all we got. And if we want to live, we need to have a clean, fair environment to uh, sustain ourselves in. I do agree with you, Steve. And it's, I mean, you bring some interesting facts to us. The little things that we take for granted and we're looking over these are things that really matter. I mean, we talk about global warming all the time. Now for now for Earth Day 2018, where are, I mean, where do you consider are maybe the 10 biggest, the biggest, dirtiest waste litter states in the USA? Uh, yes, ma'am. I, um, I'm putting out a press release. I'm hoping it's out today or definitely tomorrow. So uh, the Atlanta Journal-Constitution should be printing this out, we're hoping. By the way, they follow me on Twitter. Uh, your, your listeners can follow me at Litter Scorecard on Twitter. I have a Facebook page, and they can reach me in, in those ways. Um, but there are 10 states I selected, and some have big populations. Some are a bit smaller. But these were states that, in my view, um, they have a lot of visible litter, that, or, or waste, as we call it, that hasn't been removed uh, on their public properties. This could include streets and parks and waterways and trails. And they, 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 uh, you have governments that are just not moving fast enough. Uh, they, were, they are required by law to remove these things in a timely manner. I mean, it's, in, it's, in, it's written down. And you have state governments as well as cities. They're just not doing their job fast enough. So I selected... 10, and the first six to seven were very easy to select because their numbers were just outrageously, uh, they, they stood out as violators. They stood out as uh, offenders. And the final two to three were a little more difficult, and I made that decision this Friday, Saturday. Uh, there were 13 states contending for two or three slots, and so I weeded some out, and I uh, – uh, in the course of finding these states, providing you the list, I, these are the indicators I used. I used citizen observations. Um, I used uh, uh, the amount of people that were killed by uh, having litter or debris crashes in, by vehicles during a certain year. I looked at the numbers of people in a state, percentages or their numbers of people that are profiled litters. Those are people age 16 to 25. That is the group nationwide. All kinds of litter studies have shown, and also even in Canada, they've noticed the same thing, that regardless of where you live in the United States or in Canada, if you're age 16 to 25, your willingness to dump or litter solid waste on any kind of property uh, is, a, is the highest. And willingness means it could be by accident, you're not thinking about it, but you're still engaged in that activity. And then I also looked at uh, expenditures on environmental protection and um, uh, some other uh, corruption in states and certain other um, indicators. I got all this information from government data, uh, from nonprofits, from public uh, comments, and which I code. I, I was in the polling and coding business for uh, in my past. That's a skill that I had. And the scorecard doing that was a skill to, to rank these states. Anyway, here are the 10 selected states. Uh, uh, the biggest of the 10, which is America's second largest state with 28.3 million people at present, the number one worst and dirtiest state at the moment is called the state of Texas, that big state to the west and south of you. Um, uh, two years ago, uh, at least 111 people were killed 
the highest rate in the United States, more than any other state. More people were killed by litter and debris crashes in Texas than any other state. And also, Texas had the number one number percentage of people under 18 that were noticed at, known as profiled litterers. And then the other states that were big that stood out for this was New Jersey. Uh, New Jersey has 9 million people. And uh, then the other, uh, another big state that stood out was Pennsylvania with 12.81 million. It had a high rate of people dying, 46 killed. And uh, another state that was big that stood out was Michigan. The state of Michigan, the Wolverine State, had a high rate of deaths, 31 killed uh, uh, for a population of less than 9 million. And then, then there were the uh, other states that comprised the 10. And, of course, we have the state of Georgia. It was on the list. And I just want to throw some uh, facts out about Georgia after I finish the other states listed. We also got South oh, Carolina. Hey. Yes, ma'am. Oh, no, Are you with me? Go right ahead. I am with oh, yes, you. I want to hear so, this yeah. about Georgia. <laughs> and besides Georgia and South Carolina, we got Nevada. We had Louisiana, which is uh, for a smaller state, it, it is big when it comes to litter and deaths. Big, big old Louisiana. And then uh, I mentioned South Carolina and Georgia and uh, Nevada. And then the final two states, we have Oklahoma and Kansas. And uh, Kansas has really stood out because for a small state, the amount of people dying, the amount of litter on its roadways, the corruption rate has just skyrocketed in the last two or three years. So uh, it's a player when it comes to environmental abuses all of a sudden. In fact, there's a measles outbreak as we speak in Kansas that was unheard of, and they're blaming uh, uh, bad environmental efforts there as a, as a result of measles. Now, I'm, I want to say something about Georgia, which is dear to our hearts, the Peach State. Oh, um, yeah. I, men I mentioned uh, Georgia at the moment has 10.43, just over 10 million people. 24 people were killed in Georgia. Um, and Georgia has a good percentage of people age under 18 and those 18 to 25 that are profiled litterers. And... Uh, um, you're welcome to ask me other questions about those states that you felt should need to be answered. Okay. Well, okay, we already talked about Georgia. Oh, my poor Georgia. <laughs> I, I guess I want to ask this. Sure. Okay, I know I know that you're saying that mostly the government and stuff and things are responsible for these states being the way they are, but what are some other, why are we having these conditions and why are they not being taken care of Oh yeah. on a daily basis? Like, for well, instance, you know, Georgia, to me, I, I get so tired of driving over a pothole. Mm -hmm. I am tired of, you know, even, I mean, it might be little to most, but I would love to see mm -hmm. the streets. If it need to be painted, let it be painted mm -hmm. where I can see that maybe the word stop is in the middle of the road. Those little things mm -hmm. matter. And I don't feel mm -hmm. that people are taking care of them, especially with the little iron metal mm -hmm. plates that be in the road. You have to ride over those. I'm afraid that they might lift mm -hmm. up and I might end up driving over and get stuck in the hole. You know, these are matters the government is looking upon, and I'm hoping that with the mm -hmm. new governor and tax, um, for the running government, maybe everyone's talking about Stacey Abrams. Hopefully that this young lady will be able to take over if she does win this new leadership in hand. Mm -hmm. Because, I mean, it, it is. It's ridiculous, um, Steve, that we have to go through this in our mm -hmm. own state. Traffic. Traffic is another issue that I'm hoping mm -hmm. that we crack down to. Mm -hmm. And I'll be glad now to answer all that. As you know, a few years ago, Georgia was considered by stateintegrity.org as the most corrupt government, period, state government in the United States. They were looking at the executive level. They were looking at state agencies. They were looking at the legislature. Now, fortunately, that same nonprofit um, has not rated Georgia. It has moved up to the D or C level of corruption. It was on the F level. And, and you still have the same governor 
and you do have some of the same people, but I think in some ways it was worse a few years ago, uh, certain by the numbers situation. But I'm gonna, I'd like to philosophically answer your question. Georgia is no longer a poor southern state. It's one of the larger southern states right now. It's a competitive state uh, for business, um, and, and also it, it affects the economy of some nearby states such as uh, South Carolina and Tennessee and Alabama and Florida. And uh, um, mm-hmm. But it has nothing to do with the money flow. I think there's adequate streams of money coming into Georgia from the federal government. And, you know, Georgia for the South is considered a high tax state. It has a high uh, levying of income taxes compared to some other southern states. You have Florida that doesn't have a state income tax. My home state of Texas doesn't have a state income tax. And then some of the other southern states, they all have state income taxes, but their levering rate per person or by business is smaller than Georgia. So I think Georgia is getting the money. I think the issue, and I kind of mentioned this in my press release coming out, is uh, it's an attitudinal issue. And, and what, what I'm saying is um, there's a lack of ethics. Uh, when the money arrives, uh, they're not using it wisely. There's no oversight of the money. Right. And you have a lot of people that are entrusted to serve the public, to do a, a, perform a task. And they're just looking the other way or saying, I'm not going to do it, or I'll do it as slipshod uh, as possible. You know, I got my paycheck, but, I, you know, uh, if no one's looking and there's no oversight, or if I can, or if I have the power to not do this task, I think I'll just do it until someone dies or I'm sued. And then they'll argue uh, in court, well, the law uh, allows me this flexibility to not uh, do this task, which I'm, I think it's kind of a ridiculous argument, but I'm starting to hear this on the government level. There's a regulation saying they're supposed to do it, and then they'll find a lawyer or a loophole so that though the regulation is there to do this stuff, um, court or the attorneys or will find uh, that that loophole in the law or vagueness of the law allows them to uh, not engage in a task, and then you still have these problems. Exactly. What are your thoughts, Steve, about the states like Ohio? You got Rhode Island because I'm hearing like Ohio, it's not it, – um, I think of last year wasn't doing so good either for state integrity. I mean, I think they're doing pretty good with the state pension fund management, but it's nothing really to brag about, particularly mm-hmm. because poorly for public access information. Um, I think the report service partly to its lack of laws and to hand over required information. Mm-hmm. Well, um, now on, on the issue of corruption or uh Poor ethics and governance. Uh, Ohio wasn't mm-hmm. on what is called the F or the lowest list. It may be on the D or C list, but uh, okay. just in the last year, uh, I wouldn't say they're doing the greatest job, but I think that they're doing, a, uh, to be honest, I think their governance is a little more uh, uh, better or transparent than certainly of Georgia. And, and you know, all these states, and they're all – competing for funds. And so I think Georgia is getting a, a good amount of money. Like I said, I don't think the issue is money. I think it's just an attitude issue. People don't want things done. The people in power, or, or they're making up excuses um, to abuse the public money. And if they can find a legal way to make that abuse, uh, they'll find it, and then they'll have a judge back it up, and then you can't fight it any further. And, and I hate it, it sounds terrible what I'm saying, but I think that's what's going on. And none of these public officials want to talk about it, but that is what's going on. And maybe if I'm the only person out there making a shout out, so be it, because someone needs to watch these people. They need to do their job. They need to take pride in serving the public. Uh, the public put them there, and they, their job is to serve the public, not to be them serving themselves. They, they are not private servants. These are public servants, but too many of them are serving themselves. I agree with you, Steve, and I, I really do. And just uh, kind of backtracking, you made me think about, like, one of our government agencies, FEMA, and I'm sorry to bring it up. I don't want to offend anyone sure. about that. But to me, FEMA is getting our tax money. 
That's why they're mm-hmm. able to stay in the hotels that they're able to, and they're not really doing a darn thing for these people. Mm-hmm. They didn't do nothing for Hurricane and they definitely not mm-hmm. doing nothing for uh, Puerto Rico. They didn't do anything. I would mm-hmm. hate for my mm-hmm. life to have to depend on them. I would. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. Oh, I, I agree. Out, we passed. Um, what they were doing for these people, uh, it's like, oh, Lord, I feel hard. I want to let you know, and, and I don't know how, I, I know that we have some loyal Democrats and loyal Republicans listening to this broadcast. Um, yes, Mr. Sir. Obama, we we have learned something. During his term, he certainly wasn't uh, an angel uh, in providing help to people in FEMA. He He was better, but he certainly wasn't the best president running FEMA. And, of course, George Bush was looked down. But, you know, we're in the era of Trump, and uh, Trump um, um, is a private servant. Um, He has these appointees. One runs FEMA. I'm I'm sorry I don't have that person's name off the top. But um, these people, uh, they want to run government by business. But when you run a business, your job is not to serve the public. Your job is to serve the stockholders and keep a profit. So public customer service is further down the list, and the, the, these businesses won't talk about it. They keep because it affects their business model. So the customers, that is the taxpayers, the residents, uh, though they're by law are supposed to be served, the attitude is um, not to provide adequate service and to downplay it to uh, do as little as possible. And they don't want anybody to die, as they claim, but they wouldn't, they're not really helping them to live either. And so there's this attitude uh, that's permeating uh, with these agencies. And also it, the, the state governments, this is very interesting. If they see a federal entity uh, on the, uh, do something where they can uh, do, do nothing, and though it's required by law and a judge says you don't have to do anything, states will take cues from that and do the same. So basically – uh, Atlanta and legislators, they're getting cues from members of Congress and federal officials in Washington. If Washington is going to be inactive, then we in Atlanta are going to be just as inactive or maybe outdo them. Oh, wow. Oh, I did not know all this was going on. I know it was, I know it was a little messy, but I wasn't expecting all, all this to be the action of it. Um, Steve, let's go. Let's talk about your recent release story, if we could discuss that, that which was by Busy Bee Housekeeper Services, which is a national mm-hmm. service change using combined census by Busy Bee Housekeeper Observations, the EPA and U.S. Census American Community Survey, um, about sure. major U.S. cities having poorest or dirtiest housekeeping practices. Yes, ma'am. Uh, just in the last couple months, I think it was in February, Busy Bee Housekeeping, Um, uh, Uh supposedly the largest uh, type chain service chain of its kind in the United States they released a uh, survey which uh, your readers can go to Google or go to certain newspapers that covered it USA Today had a big article about it and basically they took um, data from in-house they had their housekeeping employees uh, take notes and observations and they're located in most major cities, including Atlanta. They operate their services. So they were looking at observations such as uh, in, a, in a home or an office, uh, the rate of uh, mice and cockroaches, pests, litter, um, whether the air was clean in an office or home. Uh, they re- were measuring the amounts of CO2 in an office or a house, the C if these levels were deep, dangerous to uh, a person living in the home or office. And then they made some other observations using numbers from the uh, EPA, the American Housing Survey, and the Census Bureau. And they calculated all these measures, and they made a list of what they considered the 50th dirtiest cities in the United States. And uh, the topmost city, strangely enough, was also the topmost city for travel and leisures, America's dirtiest cities, and a major dirty city for Forbes magazine. That topmost city for the Busy Bee list is New York. And New Yorkers don't want to hear this because I approached them, and they're in denial. 
But that that's a city that has had these problems for many years, and they talk about it. But it's probably the largest, biggest populated state in America that doesn't really want to ingre- embrace green practices and talk about it uh, the way that competing cities uh, such as Chicago and Los Angeles and Houston and Atlanta, at least those cities, the people will talk about it, but not New Yorkers. They don't really want to talk about it. Keep in mind, New York City has a lot of power. It has more money and power probably than any other city. They are capable of solving these problems, and they don't. They really aren't trying hard enough. Or they, they, or they think, well, we're New Yorkers. We're culturally superior to all other Americans. So uh, maybe we have this inherent right not to solve these problems because we're from New York, and we're going to sh- and uh, that they're that they're exempt <laughs> from solving these problems. But let all the other cities out there that aren't like New York, they have to solve them. But we're we're exempt. So anyway, New York City was considered the dirtiest city. The next city, which I think environmentally stands out uh, up to this point by Busy B, the second dirtiest city, was Los Angeles. And then uh, you had three other California cities, uh, notably San Bernardino and Riverside, uh, San Francisco, San Diego. They were considered top dirty cities. And then for the, uh, the other standout cities out of state were Chicago and Phoenix and Philadelphia and Miami. But for the South, the number one dirtiest city, and, you know, you, you would think maybe, oh, it's Atlanta. But no, Atlanta has been spared. The number one dirtiest city by, in the Busy Beast survey was, was my hometown of Houston, Texas. It was rated number seven in the, in the study, but definitely number one dirtiest for the, all the southern states. And then the other dirty cities that stood out in the south, uh, Atlanta was number 13, by the way. So though Houston was seventh, Atlanta was 13th. Oh, and then the no. other dirty <laughs> Well, but that, that's better than number one. <laughs> no city yeah, is perfect, but I think that's a good thing that you're cleaner than Houston or New York or Chicago or Los Angeles. I would take that as a compliment. I guess I will. And, I have to say that, like you said, it's not number. It's not number one. So we're we're on the best part of it all. And and then there were other southern cities that were kind of dirty. Uh, Austin, Texas was rated 16th. Dallas was number 20. Nashville, up the road from you, was 26th. Uh, Richmond, Virginia was 30th. Tampa, St. Pete was 31st. New Orleans was further down the list. Usually it's uh, Atlanta and New Orleans were always dirty cities. But the Busy Bee list had them at number 34. And then other dirty cities that stood out, lower lower rank, was Memphis, Raleigh, and Orlando. And by the way, it, it appeared that Jacksonville, Florida, which I had a list, put out a list last year. of the cleanest, It was the cleanest city in the entire South and maybe the cleanest big city in America. It was the, it was the cleanest of all big cities rated by Busy Bee was Jacksonville, Florida. So uh, I thought I'd just throw that at you. Wow, but I guess I well, oh Jesus! I mean, you would never, you would never thought all this killed. Oh, so Atlanta, I guess we we are on that list. Yes, we are. Um, but we're gonna take a short commercial break. We're gonna come back with Steve because we got some more questions that we definitely want to ask. So don't touch that down. We'll be right back after this. Thought it was over? Not yet. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. You're listening to Blog Talk Talk Radio, baby. The average time a resume spends on an HR manager's desk is seven seconds, and most of them are tossed aside. Now imagine if one of those resumes belonged to Yasmin, who was... Living in a shelter, juggling three jobs. I had to be resilient. That's something that you can't teach. Or if that resume was from someone who worked 12-hour shifts at the recycling company with my dad, who's 72. That taught me a work ethic that I carry with me every day. We rely so much on a resume, 
yet it could never tell the full story of someone. Growing up where I did, a lot of things could have gotten in the way of my goals, but I learned to push through, and that's what I bring to work every day. So maybe it's time we look beyond the resume and look to grads of life. Discover new ways to develop great talent that are so much more than what's on paper at gradsoflife.org. A public service announcement brought to you by Grads of Life and the Ad Council. Allison is perfect. I mean, she'd never tell you that. She's humble and perfect. She likes everyone. She even likes her untidy roommate's weird guinea pig. Allison, wait, are you texting and driving? Allison, no, that's the exact opposite of what I was just saying about you. Why, Allison, why? Texting and driving makes good people look bad. Visit StopTextStopRex.org, brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. All right, everyone, we're back on with Steve Basic, and I also have a caller on the line who would love to ask Steve a question in regards to where he gets all his good information from. So, caller, you are on the line to ask Steve your question. Well, I was going to say good morning to Steve. Good morning. And you, you're talking to a person from the Midwest. I'm African-American. I'm a Donald Trump supporter and voter, mm-hmm. which is probably rare for one to come out and say so. But, you know, in, uh, in the state of Missouri, they've had mm-hmm. some very good progressive uh, programs. One was the Hancock Amendment <clears throat> that when the state revenue outpaces the expenditures, expenditures at a certain percentage, then they start giving that money back to the taxpayers. And uh, our governor, who's been in the news, but uh, he's also a uh, state legislature has came up with another plan to uh, start reducing business taxes and personal income taxes. I see a very good need for that. Now, how would uh, the, the state, and you can equate that to the two largest cities, Kansas City and St. Louis, how will they fall on that particular list as being dirty? Uh, by the way, Kansas and uh, St. Louis, it's been ran by Democrats for a very, very long time. 1949, since St. Louis has been had and, uh, ran by Democrats. Okay, number one, the Busy Bee study. Uh, I do my own research. This is a private service company. It wasn't, uh, you could argue my work, uh, I'm my own entity, but that was a separate entity. Uh, or um, I see that Kansas City was rated 29th as dirtiest, and again, this is Busy Bee stats, and I mentioned the source of their stats. Some of it was in-house numbers, and some, of, but a lot of it was from information they gleaned from the EPA and the Census Bureau. And um, I'm perusing the data here, looking for St. Louis, and I don't see St. Louis listed, so I want to speculate that Kansas City may be dirtier at the moment than St. Louis, for this study. And then uh, I want to make a comment about Missouri as a whole. I, uh, I'm the author of the American State Litter Scorecard. And Missouri, uh, as of four years ago, and I haven't put out results of what we call best states, but Missouri made it in to the best state category. And I think the governor at the time, I believe, was Nixon. Is that correct? Yes, he's gone now. Yeah, right. But he was there. So uh, when I was looking at these states, and make, um, I always praise the governor because they're the chief executive officer of a state, and I have to. I generally give them credit. It, it, maybe it's a political move on my part, but they're they're, they're in charge of uh, public officials, uh, in, uh, the uh, Department of Transportation's uh, to motivate the cities to do their part, and so I could safely say. Uh, up to four years ago, uh, Missouri was doing fine on environmental protection. I don't really readily have the numbers for Missouri on it right now. When I was doing my own study that was released, I had numbers on uh, on the bad states or, or what I call dirty states. And, base, and before I selected those states, I had looked at Missouri, and I had ruled out Missouri. So I want to say safely now for a state such as Missouri – they are certainly doing better than your tip, certainly better than Georgia, and possibly better, doing better uh, for the environment than other states uh, in the Midwest and, and the South. 
Well, that's great to know. Thank you very much. Did you have any other questions for me? I'm here. Well, I'll tell you, you might look at Louisiana, uh, in particular Baton Rouge, mm-hmm. because uh, mm-hmm. I've uh, relocate, relocated there. I like the temperature. Mm-hmm. My grandson attends the state's big state school there, LSU, and uh, how does it fare out? Well, uh, uh, actually, I would say Louisiana is way worse than Georgia or Missouri. Or uh, oh. it's its own. They, it, uh, I, I hate to say this, but Baton Rouge keeps coming up with New Orleans amongst uh, travel and leisures and Forbes dirtiest cities. Um, uh, I have some terrible numbers about Louisiana as I turn the page here. It was rated by state integrity as one of the top five most corrupt states. Um, in fact, if you do uh, uh, the expenditures on literal removals, there is terrible. They have poor. They're getting not enough money from the federal government or state government, and what what they are getting is kind of. I hate to use the word. It's being squandered. But then New Jersey, which has tons of state and federal money, they're squandering their litter litter and environmental protection monies too. And they're two opposite states. Mm-hmm. They're both one state gets more, one state gets less, and they're squandering both. And um, I have a very negative view of Louisiana politically and revenues new-wise. The other thing about uh, Louisiana that really stands out, too many people are being killed in that state in these litter and debris crashes. And furthermore, uh, for people age 18 to 25, Louisiana had the largest population percentage of people that are willing and prone to litter. Wow. Yeah, that's interesting. Very interesting. That's what I can tell you about Louisiana, right? Yeah. Well, that's all I have. Thank you. Oh, thank you for asking. Thank you. Hi, Technicia. (laughs) Hi, Steve. This is some intriguing. It is. It's very interesting information to know this. Wow. Like, hmm. You know, I'm going to interject this. I just, ma'am. No, go ahead. Go ahead, see what you was going to say. Yeah, I noticed before the top states that have a lot of litter, where people are dying from these accidents, where the money's being squandered, They're all next to each other. Here's the line from Louisiana to Texas to Oklahoma to Kansas. That four-state area, uh, they're having some environmental protection number problems. People are dying. The rate of uh, the money maybe is insufficient or it's being squandered. And so those are four states. They're all connecting L. Uh, uh, Louisiana is the bottom right in, and Kansas at the top, and it's like a curve. But they're all afflicted. They're having an afflicted situation. And, you know, Scott Pruitt at the EPA right now, he's from one of those states, too. And he's been certainly making the news lately. If you And you may want to ask about him as well. Yeah, I heard about him. <laughs> oh, I mean, um, I'm going to go right back to that with you, Scott. I want to talk briefly about the the attended EPA rule hearings you gave spoken testimony on and the outcome. What is your mm-hmm. what is actually your knowledge opinion about Scott Pruitt, the EPA director, his missions and controversial behaviors? Mm-hmm. Um uh there were a couple EPA hearings. Uh their headquarters of course is in the District of Columbia. It's a nice building, nice garden plotted building uh in a busy part of the district. But uh, in 2015 and then this past year, I gave testimony. And you don't just go there and testify. You have to be invited or uh, there's a process. And uh, you have people in there, they're watching and uh, watching what you say. You have a time limit. You have to have good information, your behavior. It's a well-secured building, as all federal buildings are. Um, So the first hearing back in 2015, it was a rules hearing on ozone levels in the United States. Barack Obama was our president. And there was a movement, uh, not by his people, but other people, to water down 
the regulations so there'd be more CO2 admitted, more ozone. So mm-hmm. I testified against the watering down, and there was uh, it was decided by EPA people, policymakers, not to water down the regulations. Well, then in 2016, okay. we have Donald Trump. And then uh, we had a hearing uh, late this past year on gliders and uh, regulations. Gliders are vehicles that uh, where the engine is removed, and you put in a used engine, but the new engine, this used engine, may pollute worse than a previous engine in a vehicle. These are usually trucks and buses. You have some states like California that have banned these glider-replaced engine vehicles. And then you have states like Georgia and Tennessee and South Carolina where the, the, it's okay to have a glider vehicle, and you can put in an engine in them that can pollute the air, and it's perfectly legal under state law, and the federal regulations are, uh, are not really effective enough, effective enough to stop this pollution. So I said, okay. I was, uh, I said no to those uh, change, uh, no to no, incre- no to increasing uh, the emissions of these vehicles. And I'd like to just quickly say, what, before I talk about Scott Pruitt, that in the course of doing that research, I found out about states and cities, and your listeners may be interested, where there's high carbon dioxide. Uh, emissions, and you know, we were just talking about dirty cities, uh, the land and litter. Well, I'm talking about air pollution now. Uh, back in 2014, um, the, the greenhouse gas uh, inventory had mentioned Louisiana and Texas, along with Pennsylvania, Ohio, Illinois, Indiana, uh, as top states mm-hmm. for CO2 emissions. And then this is very interesting. Then they had a list of cities that had a high two and uh, and uh, uh, strangely enough, my hometown of Houston, it, right now, or at least in the last two or three years, had the worst carbon dioxide pollution in the United States. And then other, two other cities that really stood out was New Orleans and Louisville, Kentucky. So, uh, but, yeah, I just want to say something about the gliders and the admissions. And then, of course, uh, to answer your question about Scott Pruitt, he was a senator in Oklahoma. He then became the inter, uh, Attorney General of Oklahoma, nominated by the Trump administration, became the EPA um, Administrator Director. And he's been in hot water because of his abuse of his uh, duties, prescribed duties, and abuse of the taxpayers' money. And there are three or four examples. Oh. Uh, yes, ma'am. Oh, no, I was agreeing, I was agreeing with you because they also have him – they also have – him under investigation or questioning his um, email addresses too. Yeah, and I didn't have I didn't mention that yet, but uh, just today, a big story in the Washington Post was uh, he, uh, you're allowed to have certain things in your office installed, and there's uh-huh. a budget limit, and the budget limit to the limit to install a private security talking booth was five thousand dollars. He spent forty three thousand of taxpayers' money yep. on a $5,000 item, and <laughs> that's just one thing. And uh, he was flying first class on planes when he's supposed to fly coach. Uh, this was at – and supposedly when he was in first class, there were rumors that he was conducting business. Uh, it's unethical. He was dealing business dealings with uh, some private corporate people uh, that want to seek favors with the EPA. And again, this is rumors, but that that's been a talk that he was conducting business or chats that were prohibited. Um, he, of course, he stayed in a room paid by a lobbyist uh, during the first few days of his tenure uh, in a very expensive. <laughs> that same room would cost us thousands of dollars. A lobbyist allowed him to stay for just fifty dollars a night. <laughs> and then uh, I mentioned the what? booth. And then there was one other comment I want to let's say about him. Oh, I was I was gonna say, Steve. Let's not forget. Now he just um is told that he upgraded his official car last year to a, a more costlier, mm-hmm. larger vehicle with bullet resistant covers over bucket mm-hmm. seats. And mm-hmm. I think the first year lease of the vehicle cost like over ten thousand, according to the federal mm-hmm. contracting record. 
Yes, ma'am. So he spent all and so I didn't, this money on just deals. Yeah, and 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 then he made you know of course the president has not been happy. There's been even though he claims he has confidence. Have you noticed before someone has been fired that he'll say, "Oh yeah, I have confidence right. in that person," and then 24 hours later they're uh, they're gone. So that's the Trump way. You don't know that they're fired till they're fired. And, you know, I could make a comment about other people there. <laughs> but uh, Mr. Pruitt said something that was kind of odd or kind of well, you, you would question his – I want to make this comment he said. He said that, well, it's God's will that I act this way, that he kind of said that. And what I mean by that is that uh, if he acts undisciplined or unethical – well, this is what God wants me to do. This is what God wants me what? to act. I, I hate to say that, but oh, he actually no. said that reporter. And see that? See, I challenge his mental health or stability on that. And uh, <laughs> I know you are laughing. <laughs> I know because oh, that's kind of public servant. You don't dare say something like that. Uh, uh, it's kind of inappropriate. It's okay to have religious views, but when you say something that when you're on the public clock that uh, that your mental health is questionable and that you're not using good common sense, um, um, some people will find that very offensive because you're supposed to serve people regardless of your belief. There's law, the laws and regulations of the United States uh, take precedence uh, in, when you're in your public capacity over your own you have to do certain things you may not like like it from a religious standpoint but you still have to do that and and um, just think it's inappropriate that a public any public servant they're looked at like something's wrong with them (laughs) right and i was i was going to mention just like the big talk that's going on with chick-fil-a owner he he's against gay marriage i mean how long mm-hmm. we gonna keep doing this debate, this fight, Steve? Because to me, there's been a debate for years on gay marriage and everything else. The man, to yeah. me, is entitled to his own opinion. But for you to right. go make a big argument and, and an article about it, it's kind of redundant. It's old now. There, that's his belief. It's a Christian-based Certainly. business, and that, if that's what he believes, now as long as far as he's not discriminating against anyone coming into his establishment mm-hmm. of his place of business, mm-hmm. now that's on a different right. level. Once you start discriminating, right. you cannot eat here. Now that's a different level. But as far as his belief, I do not care because that's been yeah. a conversation that's been going on for years. Change the page. That's yeah. a new chapter. You got your five minutes of fame in the, on the news, so move on, sir. I mean, it's, it's getting old. We have other big issues yeah. out here. Yeah, and, you know, I, I made my oh, comment because I've seen – yes, ma'am. Oh, no, go ahead, Steve. Yeah, I've seen public officials, they go before a court, a judge, and they say, well, God made me do this, or this is my belief. And I'm telling you, that's oh, the wow. last thing you want to say to a judge because they're going to think they're, you're mentally unstable. And also, public so servants, like I said, you're allowed to have your beliefs, but when you're in the public sector, it's it's kind of wise not to discuss it because – some people will feel that your beliefs are offensive and it's affecting your um, – you have to be neutral. You have to play it. I, and maybe people don't want to hear that, but if you work in the government arena, that, that's the reason why we have rules and regulations of conduct is that you can't um, – you cannot, you cannot promote one belief over another. And, and so you're promoting one belief over another belief, and then it, and then it affects your work. Uh, load, and then the next thing you know, you're violating the law from a criminal standpoint. You didn't do your workload, and you use religion. The thing is, the religious argument in government won't fly. Even though people have a right to religious beliefs, when you're on the government payroll, it's kind of like some workplaces. You have the the workplace rights and uh, duties come first and must be upheld, and that's why. Uh, when people talk like that before a judge using God, well, God made me do it. <laughs> I, I just, uh, uh, it, it makes my eyes roll. And also it's an insult to good people 
that, that they're going to do their job whether they believe in the God or the devil. They're still going to try to do the right thing in the public workplace. Of course. Of course. Now, with a little time still left on the clock, Steve, could you discuss your September 2016 nationally published errors mm-hmm. on dozens of local TV newscasts about both then-candidates, Clinton and Trump, and their BP choices, Pence and Cain, and maybe all four acting liberally and different on the campaign trial? Yes, ma'am, and that was a hot story. Um, if you yeah, remember was- back in 2016 in the fall, Hillary Clinton had a lead right up to about a week or two before the election. And this story came out a month before that. And again, I was the author of the American State Litter Scorecard. I knew what states and also major cities being interviewed uh, by travel and leisure on that topic and also having um, in-house numbers from Forbes, that is their data, their results of their 20th dirtiest American cities. And so I and I knew something about politics. I've been in the political world, even though I really don't talk about being partisan. I, I stress that I'm a nonpartisan government performance expert, and I go to conferences on this. So long story short, I, knowing all this information, I put out a press release, which is captured by hundreds of newspapers and dozens of TV stations. Basically, I said, and I noticed that on the campaign trail, both Donald Trump and Ms. Clinton and, and Bill Clinton, they all live in New York City. Uh, Donald Trump is a native of New York. New York City was rated uh, in two studies. Uh, we noticed they're rated number one, dirtiest by travel and leisure. Uh, Busy Bee Housekeeping just rated them number one, dirtiest city in America. Anyway, on the campaign trail, uh, prior to this story coming out, the uh, reporters have noticed when they asked them about how would you clean up your hometown litter and pollution situation? How would you reconcile uh, the voters who, want, who are very concerned about the environment and think that government isn't doing enough to protect and clean up dirty, polluted, toxic environments? And basically, they, answer, they did not answer the question. Uh, when they were asked to support local cleanups, they didn't get involved. And they had sort of an indifferent outlook. They they had they just kept their mouths shut. And uh, uh, I took note of this, and I put this in the release. And also I noticed their vice presidential picks, um, Mr. Pence, Mr. Kane. Well, Pence's Indiana, he was governor of Indiana, was rated one of the worst states. Uh, just like Clinton and Trump, uh, New York City was a worst city for litter and pollution. Well, Pence's Indiana was a worse state for the same conditions, and Kane's Virginia, Senator Kane, was close to being worse. It was just a few notches above worse for littering and dumping and certain uh, pollution behaviors and practices that weren't considered green that were detrimental to public health and welfare. So I put this out on the uh, um, Internet and also through the various newspapers, and it just it went viral. And people were very – it kind of made people confused about who to vote for, but it was just more information about these two candidates that even the nominees uh, uh, for a p- party, uh, you couldn't trust them to care about the environment. You know, you're you're going to vote for them but because the voters, the voters want you to do something about environmental protection and clean up. And yet the the candidate they're going to vote for will do just the opposite. Wow. Well, Steve, I really appreciate this conversation today. And I'm glad that we had you back on for the second time around. You know, it's always a pleasure to have you on and get all this good information. I appreciate my caller for calling in on my list. And if you're listening to the replay, please make sure you share it with your friends and your family. Steve, if the guests, or the, I mean, if the listeners want to know more information, if they want to get in contact with you, mm-hmm. is there a website they can go to? Yes, ma'am. They can. Uh, uh, my private email. They'll have to go to Google. They can go to the Litter Scorecard website. It has a web form. They can reach me. I can be followed on Twitter at Litter Scorecard. Um, 
I have a Facebook call, page called the American State Litter Scorecard. They can like that page and follow it. And then a final comment, if any of your listeners work in government and they're looking for a subcontractor, someone to evaluate their program and do it honestly and, and make recommendations, I'm around. As I said, I'm in the Washington area, but if they're, they're willing to uh, pay, pay my transportation costs and provide, I can work for them. I'm open to clients. So I just want to say I'm available, and uh, uh, I, I do very good work at a lower price, and I think my work is very effective and speaks volumes. It most certainly, it most certainly do. It speaks plenty of <laughs> volumes to us. And like I said, I appreciate my caller for stepping up the plate and being a champion, asking those questions. It means a lot to me. That's what makes a leader out here. we got to ask questions to know. Don't sit back and just – be in the background listening. Ask those questions. But without and by the way, any more questions. I just want to say I consider myself a leader, and I think most people, I am not a follower. I'm a leader. And, and I have to thank yes. the leaders that, that made me a leader. Some are dead and gone, no, but I think right. I'm carrying their so, – so uh, hats off to the leaders who are trying to do the right and good thing and do care about the people and not abuse right. the money that's given to them. That's right. And uh, before I leave you, you know, I have to give my tip of the day. This is from my friend and a former guest, Mary Ellen Signovich. Engage in relaxing activities to soothe your senses and restore your energy. Engage in relaxing activities on a regular basis. Stress and busyness will create a, um, a cumulative effect in your mind and on your body. Become aware of when you are doing too much and restore your energy before you become fatigued. Make these relaxed activities a regular part of your life. Some of these activities include reading, writing, journaling, getting a massage, a yoga class, going for a walk, just the name of fear, whatever works for you. Today, give yourself the gift of rest and relaxation so you can release stress and stay energized. Enjoy the day, everyone. Thank you for listening. I'll see you the next time on The Bright Side with Technicia. God bless. Thanks for listening to The Bright Side with Technicia. If you like what you heard, tell your dad, mother, cousin, uncle, whomever. Be sure to check out the archive section at www.brightsidewithtk.com. 